the Bible, the book that has changed the world by changing lives around the world. Men and women, young and old, the Bible has changed my life. The love, stability, and hope that I need, they're all found in the Bible. The Bible gives me hope that a new day is coming. The Bible is helping me see what really matters. The Bible Live is a -a one-of-a-kind, first-time-in-history radio program. Offering you the chance to hear a 15 to 20 minute Bible reading each weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Hear the scriptures, then call in with your comments and questions. This is the best show in the world. Well, actually, I was speaking against everything you were talking about before, and uh, now I, I stand humbly corrected. I'm a pastor, and our people really need to know the word more. The Bible also transformed the life of your Bible Live host. A full-blooded Apache Indian, born out of wedlock and abandoned at birth. Soapy Dollar was found in a big city alley by a kind-hearted fortune teller, then passed around to 16 families before he was six years old. Placed in a home for homeless and delinquent boys, Soapy Dollar heard the Bible's life-changing message at the age of eight, and the course of his life was changed. He's an American Indian guitar playing all around rodeo cowboy. I keep my thumb between the pages and my heart in the book. With more degrees than a thermometer and over 40 years of introducing folks just like you to the God of the Bible. Here is Sophie Duller. Good evening. All right. What are we reading tonight? We're continuing our way through the book of Nehemiah. And I think we'll finish that book tonight, picking up in chapter 13. And then we go right on into the exciting story of this young lady named Esther. What a remarkable story that is. Just minding her own business there in the Persian Empire. They have been taken exile from Israel over into Babylon, the family has. And Esther is born there in exile. Her parents pass away. They died. And so this cousin, an older cousin named Mordecai, takes this pretty young girl, I imagine 8, 9, 10 years old, bringing her into his family to feed her and take care of her and raise her. Somewhere along the way, we don't know exactly the age. Maybe we'll find out as we listen carefully to the passage tonight. Probably as a teenager, she wins this sort of a beauty contest. We'll read about it tonight, how it happens. And somehow she ends up being the wife of the emperor of all of Persia. We'll get into that, but before we read that, of course, we have to finish reading the book of Nehemiah. We've begun reading about some of the social reforms that Nehemiah initiates. These are the post-exilic times after the people return. About fifty to 60,000 people return from Babylon. They have all kinds of problems. Born in exile, they don't remember exactly all their history, all of the commands, the details of worship developed before their time, long before reading the Old Testament scriptures, the books of the law, the books of Moses. They remember who they are. They begin to remember their legacy of faith and the covenant relationship that they, as a people, have to serve the true and living God. We'll finish up the book of Nehemiah with some of the reforms that Nehemiah initiates, and then we'll go right into the story of Esther. But right now, let's go to the second half of this beautiful Psalm 94. God will keep his people from severe punishment, awaiting the judgment of the wicked. The Bible life. Psalm 94, 12 through 23. 
Happy are those whom you discipline, Lord, and those whom you teach from your law. You give them relief from troubled times until a pit is dug for the wicked. The Lord will not reject his people. He will not abandon his own special possession. Judgment will come again for the righteous, and those who are upright will have a reward. Who will protect me from the wicked? Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had helped me, I would soon have died. I cried out, I'm slipping! And your unfailing love, O Lord, supported me. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Can unjust leaders claim that God is on their side? Leaders who permit injustice by their laws. They attack the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord is my fortress. My God is a mighty rock where I can hide. God will make the sins of evil people fall back upon them. He will destroy them for their sins. The Lord our God will destroy them. End of reading, Psalm 94, 12-23. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Every plan could have been just don't make sense with your last breath. You were there, exactly right. We constantly need to be reminded that God is there in the midst of each and every one of these events. These people that are involved, God is there in their midst. He is acting. He is speaking. He is revealing something of himself as he deals with these men and women in these real-life historic situations. And not only that God is there, but that we are there. We are affected. These passages that we read are not just things that happen 2,500 years ago and have nothing to do with our lives. The same true and living God that is superintending these moments and these times is doing so on our behalf in preparation for our redemption. There is one redemptive plan that is being played out. Now, Nehemiah has found a number of areas where the people have slipped back into sin, ignoring their relationship with God. And one of those is profaning or making common the Sabbath day. He approaches them about this problem, and they have to make a correction to begin to observe again this day of rest that God had mandated for them as a people. The Bible life. Nehemiah 13.15 through Esther 4.17. Nehemiah 13. One Sabbath day I saw some men of Judah treading their wine presses. They were also bringing in bundles of grain and loading them on their donkeys. And on that day they were bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on the Sabbath. There were also some men from Tyre bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah, and in Jerusalem at that. So I confronted the leaders of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way? Wasn't it enough that your ancestors did this sort of thing? So that our God brought the present troubles upon us and our city. Now you are bringing even more wrath upon the people of Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. So I commanded that from then on the gates of the city should be shut as darkness fell every Friday evening. 
not to be opened until the Sabbath ended. I also sent some of my own servants to guard the gates, so that no merchandise could be brought in on the Sabbath day. The merchants and tradesmen with a variety of wares camped outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I spoke sharply to them and said, What are you doing out here camping around the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. And that was the last time they came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and to guard the gates in order to preserve the holiness of the Sabbath. Remember this good deed also, O my God. Have compassion on me according to your great and unfailing love. About the same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Even worse, half their children spoke in the language of Ashdod or some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them swear before God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin, I demanded? There was no king from any nation who could compare to him, and God loved him and made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. How could you even think of committing this sinful deed and acting unfaithfully toward God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Joiada, son of Eliashib the high priest, had married a daughter of Sanballat the Horonite, so I banished him from my presence. Remember them, O my God, for they have defiled the priesthood and the promises and vows of the priests and Levites. So I purged out everything foreign and assigned tasks to the priests and Levites, making certain that each knew his work. I also made sure that the supply of wood for the altar was brought at the proper times and that the first part of the harvest was collected for the priests. Remember this in my favor, O oh my God. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. The Book of Esther, Esther 1. This happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. At that time, he ruled his empire from his throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and officials. He invited all the military officers of Media and Persia, as well as the noblemen and provincial officials. The celebration lasted six months, a tremendous display of the opulent wealth and glory of his empire. When it was all over, the king gave a special banquet for all the palace servants and officials, from the greatest to the least. It lasted for seven days and was held at Susa in the courtyard of the palace garden. The courtyard was decorated with beautifully woven white and blue linen hangings fastened by purple ribbons to silver rings embedded in marble pillars. Gold and silver couches stood on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother-of-pearl, and other costly stones. Drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs, and there was an abundance of royal wine, just as the king had commanded. The only restriction on the drinking was that no one should be compelled to take more than he wanted, but those who wished could have as much as they pleased for the king had instructed his staff to let everyone decide this matter for himself. Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women of the palace at the same time. On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was half drunk with wine, he told Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zethar, and Karkas, the seven eunuchs who attended him, to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. He wanted all the men to gaze on her beauty for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. 
This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. He immediately consulted with his advisors, who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he always asked their advice. The names of these men were Karshena, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meres, Marsena, and Memukan, seven high officials of Persia and Media. They were his closest associates and held the highest positions in the empire. What must be done to Queen Vashti, the king demanded. What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders, properly sent through his eunuchs? Memu Khan answered the king and his princes, Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also every official and citizen throughout your empire. Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wife of every one of us, your officials throughout the empire, will hear what the queen did and will start talking to their husbands the same way. There will be no end to the contempt and anger throughout your realm. So if it please the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from your presence, and that you choose another queen more worthy than she. When this decree is published throughout your vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. The king and his princes thought this made good sense, so he followed Memukan's counsel. He sent letters to all parts of the empire, to each province in its own script and language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his home. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Esther 2 But after Xerxes' anger had cooled, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. So his attendants suggested, Let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at Susa. Haggai, the eunuch in charge, will see that they are all given beauty treatments. After that, the young woman who pleases you most will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan into effect immediately. Now at the fortress of Susa, there was a certain Jew named Mordecai, son of Jair. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar, along with King Jehoiakim of Judah and many others. This man had a beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother had died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Hegai's care. Hegai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background, for Mordecai had told her not to. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to ask about Esther and to find out what was happening to her. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed twelve months of beauty treatments, six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. When the time came for her to go in to the king, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to enhance her beauty. 
That evening she was taken to the king's private rooms, and the next morning she was brought to the second harem, where the king's wives lived. There she would be under the care of Shashgaz, another of the king's eunuchs. She would live there for the rest of her life, never going to the king again unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. When Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign, the king loved her more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a banquet in Esther's honor for all his princes and servants, giving generous gifts to everyone and declaring a public festival for the provinces. Even after all the young women had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai had become a palace official, Esther continued to keep her nationality and family background a secret. She was still following Mordecai's orders, just as she did when she was living in his home. One day, as Mordecai was on duty at the palace, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and passed the information on to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were hanged on a gallows. This was all duly recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Esther 3. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamidatha the Agagite, to prime minister, making him the most powerful official in the empire next to the king himself. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct, since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. So he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Since he had learned that Mordecai was a Jew, he decided to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. So in the month of April, during the twelfth year of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast, the lots were called Purim, to determine the best day and month to take action. And the day selected was March 7th, nearly a year later. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There is a certain race of people scattered through all the provinces of your empire. Their laws are different from those of any other nation, and they refuse to obey even the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it please your majesty, issue a decree that they be destroyed, and I will give 375 tons of silver to the government administrators so they can put it into the royal treasury. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamidatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king told Haman, but go ahead and do as you like with these people. On April 17th, Haman called in the king's secretaries and dictated letters to the princes, the governors of the respective provinces, 
and the local officials of each province in their own scripts and languages. These letters were signed in the name of King Xerxes, sealed with his ring, and sent by messengers into all the provinces of the empire. The letters decreed that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen nearly a year later on March 7th. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. A copy of this decree was to be issued in every province and made known to all the people so that they would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. At the king's command, the decree went out by the swiftest messengers, and it was proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa fell into confusion. This is the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Esther 4 When Mordecai learned what had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail. He stood outside the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the sackcloth, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story and told him how much money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews and he asked Hathok to show it to Esther. He also asked Hathok to explain it to her, and to urge her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathok returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathok to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. The whole world knows that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him in more than a month. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent back this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that you will escape there in the palace when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. What's more, who can say but that you have been elevated to the palace for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I am willing to die. So Mordecai went away and did as Esther told him. End of reading Nehemiah 13.15 through Esther 4.17 Blessed is the man who walks in your favor Who loves all your words and hides them like treasure We read the final chapters there of the experiences of Nehemiah 
as he continues to lead the people to recall who they are and to keep a firm hold on that legacy of faith and that identity that they have as God's people. Now remember, this covenant relationship between the people of Israel, this lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this lineage of faith, the earthly version of that covenant is just that. It's an earthly version. It is God who is carrying it along because he has a commitment. It's tied to all of the earth. It's tied to all of the peoples of the earth, not just because he likes the Jewish people best. That's not the point at all. A redemptive plan is in process, and he has stated that he will use the people of Israel, descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as a means of revelation and as a means to bring the Messiah into the world. And so all of that is involved here. Nothing will stop him from carrying out his plan of redemption for his own sake, for his own namesake, and for the people of faith from all other nations and tribes and language groups, including us today, God is bringing this about. We see the final prayers of Nehemiah there. They're so interesting to study those prayers. If you get a chance to look at those sometime, you might want to. But I'm eager to get on into the story of Esther as well. Xerxes the Great ruled Persia from 486 to 465. He is the fifth of the emperors of Persia. His son is Ahasuerus. Vashti was deposed in 483. Esther became queen in 479, just two years after the famous Battle of Thermopylae. There was a little overlapping between Xerxes and Artaxerxes. There often was in these dynasties. There was a time when there is a dual leadership, when a father is passing the reign to his son. So that might have been involved in some of this as well. 481 was when that great battle that we all like, the Battle of Thermopylae with the 300 Greeks. So that figures into this time is probably the battle that they were preparing for in these six-month banquets. The Persians would have these huge, luxurious, and rich banquets to show their wealth and their strength, but also this was time for them to make their battle plans. So this was probably what was figuring into these times that we're reading about here. There are so many interesting details behind the scenes in the story of Esther and Mordecai and Haman here. Haman, for example, why does he hate so much the people of Israel? He is a descendant of the Amalekites. They were historic, centuries-long enemies and haters of the Jewish people. Beyond that, he's an Agagite, a descendant of King Agag of the Amalekites. You can read about them back in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15. His hatred was directed not just against Mordecai, but against all of the Jewish people. And he loved his power. He loved his authority. And so he was after Mordecai's position. There was so much going on here about Esther, about Mordecai. But Mordecai asked Esther to help him take a huge risk in going to the king the on Bible behalf Lies of her people. Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 